Doug is just one of those people that just makes you feel better when you're around him. Doesn't isn't one of his best qualities that he just uh, he's fun to be around. And uh, even though he can joke a little bit, especially if you're not an Alabama football fan, uh, he is the kind of guy that makes you feel good about being a Christian and enjoying doing so. You all are blessed here at Delrada. For those of you who are members here, to uh, be surrounded by great leaders here, elders, deacons, teachers, servants. I love this congregation very much, and I really appreciate the work that you do in this community. appreciate your, uh, your preachers, your ministers. Just got to spend a few days in Oakman, Alabama at Indian Creek Youth Camp uh, for the AP Camp with Will Tucker, um, your youth minister, your college minister, Billy Camp, and your interns, uh, Gifford, Andrew Gifford, right? We call you Gif, so sometimes it's hard to remember your first name, and Taylor Copeland. Did I see Taylor leave a little bit ago? I was hoping that Taylor would be staying in here because I have an interesting picture of him that I wanted to, to show you. Of course, we have uh, the always fun Rob Baker, who's really good at leading VBS, as you saw earlier. I picked out a few pictures of some of the Delrada folks who were there. We had, I think, nearly 20 people from Delrada, including a few chaperones who were there for our week. And uh, I'm not sure if Will in this picture is asleep and just acting like he's writing something down because I do not see his eyeballs. Um, we had Neely Campbell who was there cooking for us this year, and we appreciated that very much. We have a lot of great servants who are there at camp, and as you know, a, a week of camp may be exhausting. It is very much. In fact, if I uh, stumble over several of my words tonight, just blame it on me uh, still suffering from the lack of sleep that I had last week. Uh, but it is great to have so many people who are serving in this capacity. Even young men who uh, you think are serving, and yet they oftentimes seem to take breaks in the canteen place where there's all sorts of fountain drinks and uh, waters and coolers. Uh, I'm not for sure how many hours, gift that y'all spent in this area, or all the reasons why you were there, but we are appreciative of you guys, and I'm really not for sure what kind of face that is that Taylor has on his face right there, but we love him, and we appreciate the congregation here allowing uh, so many of your uh, members to go, and especially those who served uh, in a chaperone capacity. I'm going to talk tonight about one of the real reasons, one of the logical reasons, why you should feel very confident in rejecting atheistic evolution. There are a lot of reasons. I think sometimes people get overwhelmed with uh, all of the information that is out there that is... Uh, that is out there and logically refutes atheistic evolution. I think the average Christian, unfortunately, has not really thought through some very simple bulleted information that can be expanded upon greatly that logically shows that there must be a God and that atheistic evolution is simply extremely unrational. Uh, we could talk about how atheism cannot rationally explain where everything came from, though theism can, atheism and atheistic evolution can in no way rationally explain the origin of the universe. They contend it came about from a period-sized ball of matter that exploded billions of years ago, but not only does that not make any sense because explosions uh, never cause the kind of order and design that we see in this universe, uh, much less just cause something like that, but then that's small ball of matter could never be rationally explained as far as where it came from. Atheism 
And atheistic evolution cannot rationally explain where life in the universe came from, though theism certainly can. Atheism cannot rationally explain where intelligence came from, but once again, an almighty, infinite, uncreated, all-powerful, all-knowing God certainly is capable of producing intelligence and creating such. And atheism cannot rationally explain the amazing... uh, functional, complex design that can be seen in the universe and in a great way here on earth. And so those are things that could be elaborated on, but I think in a very simple bulleted form, these are powerful evidences that point to a designer, that point to a creator, that point to God, and that show the foolishness of atheistic evolution. And yet there is another argument that is as equally as powerful, if not more so than these, and it is the argument from morality. I don't know if you'll be able to see that. It's kind of low on the slide there. But atheism cannot rationally explain the existence of morality. It simply cannot do it. And so tonight, for the uh, 40 minutes or so, I'll try not to go too long because I hear there are some cookies and cakes and drinks that are calling our names. Uh, This is a powerful argument for the existence of God. And I realize that some people, as they contemplate this, they may think that this is too philosophical. They may think that this is a little bit too deep. Our teenagers may be tempted, Hayden, to drift off into the land of Nod. We have a couple of our guys here from Wetumpka who just got back from a preacher's camp in Denver, Colorado, and we appreciate them being with us tonight. But I fully believe that this is a very interesting and very logical argument that points at the very least, that points to the existence of God. And, uh, and if someone believes that that is not the case, then it certainly points to uh, the hideousness of the theory, the general theory of evolution. Um, let me mention a symposium, a science symposium that took place a few years ago in La Jolla, California. Some of the world's leading uh, atheists were meeting in La Jolla, California, and they were having what one author described as an atheist love fest. And uh, one writer, Michael Brooks, covered this story in New Scientist magazine, a very pro-evolutionary journal. And he titled his article, In Place of God. And the... uh, The writer there, Michael Brooks, said it was some of the leading practitioners of modern science that were present there and that they had gathered to do, among other things, to answer, among other questions, should science do away with religion? Uh, A very arrogant question that uh, that is asked, but the question that they pondered on was, should science do away with religion? Like science has the ability to do away with religion. And I would certainly contend that most of the religions of the world, other than genuine Christianity that is founded on Jesus Christ and His Word, His truth, who He is, what He taught, other than that, all religions are false. But notice, really, the article was titled, In Place of God. And at this symposium, scientists like Richard Dawkins and others were there, and they stated things. Let me just show you one slide of a few quotations here from cosmologist Steven Weinberg. He asked the question, should science... Uh, Notice the misspelling there. Do away with religion. Tell you what, there's nothing more humbling than standing in front of a couple of hundred people when your boss is probably present somewhere in the auditorium and you have a misspelled word that my 
daughter should be able to spell correctly? Yes, the answer supposedly was. I could say I just threw that in there just to see if you're paying attention, but that, of course, would not really work. The world needs to wake up from the long nightmare of religion, Stephen Weinberg said. Anything we scientists can do, he said, to weaken the hold of religion, that is really a reference to God, should be done. You want to know how adamant some of the leading atheistic evolutionists are in the world at trying to uh, convince both Christians and non-Christians that there is no reason, no logical reason to be a Christian? Well, these are some of those men, and they're very adamant about it. He said, it, he said, this may in fact be our greatest contribution to civilization. How were his comments received? Uh, the man who was covering this story for New Scientist said that he received a rapturous response. Now, the uh, author summarized his take here as science can take on religion and win. That was the attitude of those who were there. Science can take on religion and win. Now, here's the reason I brought this up. Because this was uh, titled, if you will, at least by one man covering the, this, the conference, as In Place of God. That was in 2006. The very next year, they had another conference there. Again, some of the leading atheistic evolutionists in the world. And at this conference, as it was later described by a different author, also named Michael, but a different Michael, he changed the title from In Place of God to God's Place in a Rational World. This author is Michael Riley. And he quoted one evolutionist who was there. His name is Edward Slingerland, who openly acknowledged this. He said, religion is not going away. Even those of us who fancy ourselves as rationalists and scientists, he said, rely on moral values, a set of distinctly unscientific beliefs. So here we are at the same symposium, if you will, but a year later, with one evolutionist who says, wait just a minute, we should not be so arrogant as to say that we're going to do away with it because the, the fact is... One of the facts that he owns up to, that he admits to, is that we rely on a set of moral values. The question obviously being, why is it that such is the case if, according to atheistic evolutionists, we are nothing but higher apes? Now, this gentleman, Edward Slingerland, he is from the University of uh, British Columbia and founder of the Center for the Study of Human Evolution, Cognition, and Culture. He went on to say this, he said, where, for instance, does our conviction that human rights are universal come from? Humans' rights, to me, are as mysterious as the Holy Trinity. You can't do a CT scan to show where humans' rights are. You can't cut someone open and show us their human rights. It is not an, empir an empirical thing. It's just something we strongly believe. It's a purely metaphysical entity. We understand that some things are right in this world, some things are wrong, and some things are neither really right or wrong. I should say some things are good, some things are evil, and some things are neither evil or good. I think, generally speaking, everyone around the world understands that. If I told you that when you come into my house, you can wear your shoes in my house if you want to. Generally speaking, our visitors get to wear their shoes in our house. But, you know, you will go some places around the world, and that is not something that's appreciated very much. My dad 
and mother used to spend a lot of time in Russia. My dad still goes back and forth there quite a bit. And in Russia, practically everyone understands that when you go into the house or the apartment, the flat as they call it, you take your shoes off. And if you don't, you would be viewed uh, as not being very kind. You would be, uh, you know, they wouldn't appreciate you walking around in their flat in your shoes. Um, But here, it's generally speaking, not a problem. Although, you know, I kind of think it's a good practice because there are a lot of things on our shoes we wouldn't want in our house. However, no one could say that's either right nor wrong, really, innately right or wrong. We would say, well, it just depends on where you are. For example, if you were coming over to my house and you had supper that Jana cooked, uh, and Brother McGillberry, I'll just pick on you for just a moment. If you just let out a big belch after eating a roast and mashed potatoes and green beans, that you know, would be a little bit too much like one of our sons who seems to think he can get away with that occasionally, but that's not something that generally is going to be tolerated at our house. But you go to some places around the world, I haven't been to those places, but I've heard that in certain Arabic countries, you may burp after supper, and it's something that is appreciated. It's being polite, in fact, indicating that you enjoyed the meal. Kind of wish we could adopt that uh, cultural trait over here. I think my colleagues would appreciate that as well, wouldn't you guys? Um, So some things are right, some things are wrong, and some things are neither right nor wrong. It just kind of depends on where you are, what time it is, and so forth. But other things we understand, and generally speaking, everyone understands, they can be very wrong. I mean evil. For a person, for example, to walk into a random house, shoot everyone in it, and steal everything in sight. Have you ever met someone who thought that would be perfectly fine to do that? I never have. Most sane people have a serious problem with that. Uh, For a man to beat and rape a kind, innocent woman, I've never met someone who claimed that would be right, though I have heard some people, uh, at least one evolutionist who, and maybe I'll get to this later in the lesson if we have time, who indicated that that might be right on certain occasions. For a person to torture a child simply for the fun of it, have you ever heard anyone say that? That is ridiculous. But most people believe it is right, for example... If a child is about to be run over by a car, have you ever heard someone say it would be wrong for you to go and save that child? No, because all of, basically, generally speaking, everyone understands that that is what we want to happen. We want, we praise the hero that is willing to risk his life and save a child in that situation. But we understand that some things are wrong, some things are right, and some things are neither right nor wrong. You, was it several years ago when... Um, Michael Jackson was hanging a child over uh, a railing outside of his apartment. And he wasn't going to, at least I don't believe he was going to drop that child, but just the very thought of him doing something like that was newsworthy. People all over the world were talking about it, and they were condemning him for that act, not actually letting the child go, but just acting like he was going to dangle the child or literally dangling a child over a railing outside of an apartment building 10 or 12 or 15 stories high. We get very upset by that. For parents to have children for the sole purpose of abusing them every day of their lives, who thinks that that is right? Generally speaking, most rational people believe certain things are wrong and certain things are right. Why is that the case? Because as the evolutionist we quoted from earlier, Edward Slingerland said, people rely on moral values. And I want us to look at this in a little bit more detail. Most people admit that objective good and evil exist. I have several quotations I want to show you tonight, and I hope that you will 
give these your attention because I do believe it's something that you can learn from, we all can learn from, and appreciate this argument uh, better. I, I don't know that anyone has expounded upon this argument in public debate better than our late brother uh, Thomas B. Warren, Dr. Thomas B. Warren, Ph.D. from uh, Vanderbilt University. In 1976, he debated the world's foremost uh, atheistic philosopher in that time, in 1976. I think I was about one year old at that time. Don't remember the debate, but I do have the debate books, and I've seen uh, much of it on DVD that I believe you can still get from World Video Bible School. In that debate, in fact, before that debate actually took place, they had agreed to ask each other or they, they could ask each other various questions before the debate. One of the questions that Thomas B. Warren asked uh, Anthony Flew uh, was the question you see on the screen behind me. True or false? In murdering six million Jewish men, women, and children, the Nazis were guilty of real, objective, moral wrong. And Anthony Flew, the atheist Anthony Flew, the atheist at that time, by the way, near the end of his life, before he passed away, Anthony Flew actually came to confess that there must be some designer in the world because he eventually came to the realization that there was design, at least on a, uh, on a small DNA-type level. Well, he answered the question true. Two years later, uh, Dr. Warren uh, debated Wallace Matson. Uh, very same, well, it was on the existence of God, same topic. And he asked him the very same question. And Wallace Matson answered the question in the exact same way. That in murdering six million Jewish men, women, and children, the Nazis were guilty of real objective, not subjective, not just based upon what you think versus what I think, but real objective, inherent, moral wrong. Michael Ruse, in his, uh, an article that he wrote, actually in the book that he wrote called uh, Dar Darwinism Defended, he admitted this. He said, The man who says it is morally acceptable to rape little children is just as mistaken as the man who says that 2 plus 2 equals 5. Notice, here is an uh, atheistic evolutionist who says that a person who says that such an evil action is right, that that is as wrong as someone who says that 2 plus 2 equals 5. Now, Here's a quotation from a couple of uh, creationists, but I thought it was worded so very well that it would be appropriate to show you. Not that it's ever wrong to quote Christians or creationists. I do think that our point is made even more powerfully, if you will, by quoting those on the wrong side of this issue. But Francis Beckwith and uh, Gregory Cole stated in their book Relativism that those who deny obvious moral rules who say that murder and rape are morally benign, that cruelty is not a vice, and that cowardice is a virtue, do not merely have a different moral point of view. They have something wrong with them. And I would agree, and we'll look at this a little bit more in detail later. The moral argument has been worded in different ways. Again, this is the moral argument for the existence of God. I didn't come up with it. Dr. Thomas B. Warren didn't come up with it. It has been around for centuries, and it is a powerful proof of the existence of God. But it's not one that is as, quite as popular as the cosmological argument or the teleological argument, the argument from cause and effect or the argument of design. Those are uh, perhaps easier to illustrate and not quite as philosophical. Uh, I guess it would be somewhat philosophical, philosophical, but this is not used quite as much. However, it is, I believe, very powerful. Um, 
It has been worded in different ways. This is a more simplistic wording that is really worded from the negative, but I still think it proves our point, and I'll word it from the positive here in a minute, quoting uh, Dr. Warren. But um, it could be worded this way. Premise number one, if God does not exist, then objective moral values do not exist. Premise number two, well, let me just go ahead and make sure we understand that objective, by that we mean independent of people's opinions. It's not what I think versus what Brother Edwards thinks. It is what is right or what is wrong that is uh, independent of what we think. Now, when we talk about being subjective, we mean dependent upon what people think. Good and evil have no point of reference if there is no God, and that is the point that we're making. Premise number two, objective moral values exist. Thus, what is the proper conclusion? Therefore, God exists. William Lane Craig worded it very similar to this in in a debate he had a few years ago. And uh, there's others who have worded it very similarly. Here's the moral argument as Dr. Thomas B. Warren presented it. Now, let me warn you, this is in greater detail. And it is a little more cumbersome to read, but it is worded very precisely and I believe very powerfully to uh, to help us really understand the points being made. And this is how he argued it in his debate with uh, Anthony Flew. He said, if the moral code and or actions of any individual or society can properly be subjects of criticism as to real moral wrong, not just what Giff thinks is right versus what I think is right, but objective, real moral wrong, then there must be some objective standard, which as was later um, worded in the Nuremberg trials, a higher law which transcends the provincial and the transient, or space and time. It doesn't matter if it's the year 2013 or uh, the 1940s or the 1600s or the 2nd century B.C. It transcends space and time, which is other than the particular moral code and which has an obligatory character which can be recognized. That is, that we are to do something or not do something, not based upon what we ourselves want to do, but based upon what the originator of the code would have us to do. The moral code, premise number two, the moral code and or actions of any individual or society can properly be subjects of criticism as to real moral wrong. And then the conclusion that our brother in Christ, who was uh, very educated and a very strong Christian, came to this conclusion. Therefore, there must be some objective standard, some higher law which transcends the provincial and transient, which is other than the particular moral code, and which has an obligatory character which can be recognized. I know there's some repetition there. I know you may think that's a lot of jumbled words, but notice it is a sound argument that says, in a nutshell, if there is objective right and objective wrong, that is more than just I feel it's this way or it should be this way or that way, but it is, it is right to save a child who is about to be run over by a car. It is wrong to walk into a house and murder innocent people and walk out uh, acting like you have done something right. That is wrong. The very fact that we can know that tells us that there must be a moral code which points toward a code or a moral law giver. I suppose the best case study that can be used to illustrate this, if you will, was used by Brother Warren in this debate. If there was a better one, I would imagine that he would have used a better one. But in that debate, and has been used many times since then, 
he used the, uh, the killings, the murdering that the Nazis were a part of uh, in the 1930s and the 1940s. Where six million Jews died, where about one million children, two million Jewish women, three million Jewish men, along with about three million Poles, Soviets, Gypsies, and other people with disabilities, where they were slaughtered, where they were abused, where they were tortured, where they were gassed, where they were exterminated, where they were put in railway cars that were lined with quickline that would have burned their feet, would have burned their lungs as they would have inhaled some of that. He asked these men, as we just mentioned a moment ago, was this right or was this wrong? Both Anthony Flew and Wallace Matson, in their debate admitted that the Nazis were guilty of real objective moral wrong. Now, here is one of the main points we're trying to get to tonight. And one that our atheistic evolutionary friends simply cannot get around. And that is, Wallace Matson. Dr. Wallace Matson, Dr. Anthony Flew, they could not, on, that, on, on those occasions where they were debating Brother Warren, and no atheist since then or before that time could rationally explain why something, why some of those things, including uh, the murdering of millions of people during World War II and before World War II, would or could be objectively stated as being evil. Simply could not happen. Why is that the case? Because evolution says, because atheistic evolution says that we came about through an explosion. And explosions do not give rise to moral laws. Air horns at church camp do not give rise to moral laws. July the 4th, firecracker day. I know it's much more than Firecracker Day, but where you hear firecrackers booming all day long and uh, is not giving way to order and design and certainly not any moral laws, and yet that's what atheistic evolution must, must contend and must conclude. Uh, are there such things as moral minerals or wrong rocks? You see, if atheistic evolution is true, how ridiculous is, is this? If it's true, then if going back a few billion years ago, there was nothing here on earth, there was no earth. And then when earth finally allegedly evolved, what you had was rocks and dirt and uh, dust. And then eventually, you allegedly had water that came about. And then over millions of years, you had life that allegedly evolved from non-life. Well, if that was what took place, how could you ever say that objective morality that some atheists have admitted to, that it came about through naturalistic evolution? It simply doesn't make sense. We do not talk about corrupt chemicals. We don't talk about sinful slime. We don't talk about immoral mineral, minerals or, or wrong rocks. We do not talk about animals or accuse animals uh, of being evil. And animals certainly do not accuse each other of this. You know, when my, uh, our little dog that we have at home, the little mutt that we have, when it looks out the glass door, and it sees that little lizard that's crawling around on the back porch and drives it crazy. When it sees that, and we let it outside, maybe not knowing that it wants to kill the lizard or even see the lizard, and maybe sometimes we do, but, and it chases that lizard and occasionally has caught it and kills it. Do we sit around and talk about how evil and how corrupt morally that that dog is. 
Just this last weekend, something was driving Shadow crazy. I looked out the window and he had spotted a baby rabbit. Now, if we had let the dog out and he had gone to kill the baby rabbit, we wouldn't be sitting around talking about how immoral Shadow is. Thankfully, Micah rescued the rabbit and I think gave it away to someone. But you see, we don't do this. But if evolution is true, if atheistic evolution is true, then, then that's what would have had to have happened, that you had morality that evolved from lower, uh, lower life forms. When have we alleged... Uh, when have our alleged animal ancestors contemplated morality? The very fact that we can have this discussion, I believe, points to a God who gave us morals. Now, what we all know is, and what has been admitted for years, is that morals only arise in humans. And we could quote from creationists all day long and Christians, but the fact is, atheists have admitted to this. Uh, here is uh, Dr. Anthony Flew again in the debate. He admitted that although real moral wrong existed, value did not exist before the first human being. Thus it came about, he said, uh, in man and not in animals. Dr. George Gaylord Simpson, notice this uh, quotation from uh, his book, The Meaning of Evolution. He said that although he alleged in the book that man is the result of purposelessness, and materialistic processes that did not have him in mind. He admitted that good and evil, right and wrong concepts, irrelevant in nature, except from the human view viewpoint, became real and pressing features of the whole cosmos as viewed morally because, he concluded, morals arise only in man. Stated more succinctly uh, in an article, Do Atheists Have Morals? on askanatheist.org, atheists have their own innate sense of morality. And then to go back to quote the evolutionist we quoted from earlier, Dr. Edward Slingerland, he said that even those of us who fancy ourselves as rationalists rely on moral values. What he said was a set of distinctly unscientific beliefs. And yet, atheists cannot explain morals. Atheists say that we evolved from animal life. They say that we came about from bacteria billions of years ago. They allege that we evolved from worms. If that is the case, how can you ever get a moral code that is an objective moral right and an objective moral wrong? Uh, Charles Darwin stated in his, declared in his book, The Descent of Man, in 1871, my object in this chapter is solely to show that there is no fundamental difference between man and the higher mammals and their mental faculties. How does atheism or how does evolutionism, as I'll maybe show a little bit later, uh, some of you may not be aware of this, but Charles uh, Darwin actually said in one of his, uh, in his autobiography that he was an agnostic and not an atheist. Whether that changed after that, uh, I'm not 100% sure. There's some debate there. Uh, David Suzuki said in an article he wrote titled this, notice the title of this article. He said, we should act like the animals we are. That was the title of his article. Can you imagine living in a world where people acted like animals? You know, if, if you're faster than me, and you're stronger than me, and I have some kids who, who think that they're... I think some kids in the youth group think they're faster and stronger than me. I have a son or two who thinks that. And we have some hands being raised over here. Well, you know, if that's the case, and, and we're simply going to act like the animals we are, if I go and take my wife out to eat tonight, which I'm kind of getting hungry because I haven't eaten supper yet, and, and we go to tend a chick to eat some chicken fingers, and you don't have any money, but you're there eating. 
And, and you like the, the chicken tenders that I'm... You, you like the smell of it. It appears that they taste really good. And Will Tucker is there and he knows that he's stronger than I am. And he's quicker than me. And he's smarter than me. And he thinks, I can outsmart Eric. I can outmuscle Eric. And I'll take that because I'm an animal. He's an animal. And animals just eat what they can get. Listen, we had a couple of dogs one time. And it was a brother and a sister. And it was amazing to see how cantankerous they could get with each other. It was like... Maybe it's a little bit like us, I don't know, but some days one of them would just be more cantankerous and it would not want to let the other one eat until it had everything it wanted and then if there's food left over, maybe the other one could eat. Well, is that how we are supposed to act? We understand how ridiculous that is and how corrupt this world would be if people really acted like the alleged animals that we are. He said we must acknowledge that we are animals. We like to think of ourselves as elevated above creatures, but the human body evolved from animals, allegedly. And so you have a, uh, a proper conclusion or a proper statement, I believe it's very logical, that our brother Warren made back in 1976. So the truth of the matter is, don't let the 1976 thing make you feel like this is not relevant because the fact is this is relevant today it was relevant then and it was relevant and has been relevant for thousands of years the basic implication of atheist of the atheistic system does not allow objective moral right or objective moral wrong and here's a conundrum for atheists they either have to admit that objective moral right and wrong exists but yet refuse the only logical conclusion that god exists or they must allege that everything is relative that anything goes. And so these are their two options. They can uh, say that, yes, it exists, that you can say that it is right to save a child, and it's always right to save a child that is about to be abused or about to be run over by a car maliciously. And if you can always say that, and if you can always say that it is wrong, that it is understood to be wrong to murder someone in cold blood, the atheist who admits that must logically understand that he cannot hold that position and say that we evolved by time and chance over billions of years and that we are nothing but higher animals. But if he's not willing to admit that there is objective moral right and wrong, then think about what that leads to. Think about the admissions that must be made. Um, Charles Darwin contemplated this, and in his autobiography, he gave... Uh, this is one reason for being content to remain an agnostic. He said, a man who has no assured and ever-present belief in the existence of a personal God or a future of existence with a retribution and reward can have no rule for his life, of his life, excuse me, of life, as far as I can see, only to follow those impulses and instincts which are the strongest or which seem to be the best ones. So basically, what the man who is viewed as the father of evolutionary theory who really popularized it back in the mid-1800s, he says, you know, if, if, uh, if we are atheists and we're not willing to concede the fact that there is objective moral right and wrong, then we can only follow those impulses and instincts which are strongest and which seem to be the best ones. And so, Hayden Dean, if I want that nice vehicle that you have these days and I can take it, then why can't I follow through with my impulses and take it? Richard Dawkins said this. Now, I, I, let me warn you, I have a few quotes here. Please listen to what these 
some world-renowned atheists have to say about this. Throwing out the first part of the, the lesson tonight about objective moral right and wrong and one of the reasons to reject atheistic evolution, if that, even, if that wasn't even a part of this, and all I knew were the statements that these atheistic evolution have made about the world in which we live, I would totally want to reject such a philosophy. Richard Dawkins, the most famous atheist in the world today, I believe, hands down, said, life has no higher purpose than to perpetuate the survival of DNA. He said, that's the only purpose. That is a scary thought. If people began to take what Richard Dawkins said to its logical conclusion and not just talk about it all theoretically, but if they began to take it to its logical conclusion, what kind of hideous world would this be? He said, uh, so long as DNA is passed on, it does not matter who or what gets hurt in the process. Really? You see, these men really don't believe this. Because if they did, then they would act very differently than they do, I fully believe. Genes don't care about suffering because they don't care about anything. DNA neither cares nor knows. DNA just is. And we dance to its music. The universe that we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is at bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, and no good, nothing but pitiless indifference. I'm sorry, are we looking at the same universe? Are we looking at the same world? I cannot understand how a rational thinking person could ever come to such a conclusion and thus I can only, and I believe logically conclude, that Dr. Richard Dawkins is not a rationally thinking person person. Dr. William Provine said this in 1988. He said, humans are complex organic machines that die completely with no survival of the soul or psyche. No inherent moral or ethical laws exist, nor are there absolute guiding principles for human society. The universe cares about, cares nothing for us and we have no ultimate meaning in life. Young people, if you believe this, if there are people who believe this around the world, it is no surprise. It should be no surprise that people who believe this would act any way they want to, would choose to take their life any time they wanted to when life began to be difficult because what would be the point in living? The fact of the matter is there is a great reason to live because we serve a great God who wants us to live and wants us to give Him our all until our final breath on this earth or until Jesus returns. But this again, I believe, shows you. Paints the picture of the, the corruptness of atheism in their own words. French atheistic philosopher Jean-Paul Sartre said very succinctly, everything is permitted, is indeed permitted, if God does not exist. And I have two slides showing you some of the discussion that has been, uh, that has has taken place among a very hideous action that I, I don't really want to discuss, but when you're talking about how repulsive atheism is when taken to its logical conclusion, atheistic evolution, this is something that might need to be discussed. In 2001, Randy Thornhill, a biology professor at the University of New Mexico, delivered a lecture at Simon Fraser University at Harbor Center in Vancouver in which he stated this, that rape is evolutionary, biological, and natural. Our male ancestors became ancestors in part because they conditionally used rape. He's referring to our alleged ape-like animal ancestors. 
And and I'm not uh, implying here that this gentleman would believe that this action is right whatsoever. But notice that he mentions it's simply evolutionary. It's biological. It's natural. If people began to believe this, can you imagine the kind of defenses that would be made? Maybe they're already being made in trials around the country and around the world. It seems like that if you were on trial for this hideous action and you believe this, whether you believe it or not, I would think that they might be introducing this in such trials. In his uh, book that he co-wrote called A Natural History of This, of Rape, he said evolutionary theory applies to rape as it does to other areas of human affairs. On both logical and evidentiary grounds, there is no legitimate scientific reason not to apply evolutionary or ultimate hypotheses to this. You want to talk about the hideousness? You see, atheism is either contradictory at best or absolutely hideous and repulsive and not even not in any way something that we would want to consider theoretically much less in actual action. You want to talk about the insanity of atheism? I cannot understand why anyone, even if they don't understand or haven't thought through the logical arguments for the existence of God, why they would want to even possibly embrace the theory of atheistic evolution. You, uh, some of you, I know, attended the debate that uh, our good brother Kyle had with Dan Barker back in 2009. And you may remember toward the end of that debate that Kyle brought up something that Dan Barker had actually stated in a previous debate. And it was about the subject that I just got through mentioning in the previous slides. And in that debate, Dan Barker admitted that there could be situations where that action, the hideous action, the sinful, hideous... I can't... I don't know if I can think of an action that is more hideous than rape would actually be right. And that, again, I believe, just simply illustrates how repulsive such a theory is. Although it was very much a hypothetical situation, he said, and actually it wouldn't be quite as hypothetical because a growing number of atheistic evolutionists believe that there, are, there is alien life in the universe. And so the hypothetical situation was if aliens came to, the, uh, came to earth and they said... We're going to wipe out human life, all human life, unless a certain number of men rape a certain number of women. He said it would be right. I don't know if he used the word responsibility, but that was the idea he conveyed. It would be, it would be our responsibility to follow through with such a hideous action in that situation. No, the fact of the matter is there are some things that are always right and some things that are always wrong. And those who are not willing to admit that in the atheistic community are simply showing how sickening that theory is. And then let me just show you one more example of this and begin to conclude this lesson. And I've used this illustration before to to try to illustrate this point. That a few years ago, the Texas Scientist of the Year, the Distinguished Texas Scientist of the Year, Dr. Eric Pianka, was delivering a speech at his, uh, when he received this award in Beaumont, Texas. I believe it was in Beaumont. And as he was receiving it, he delivered a speech 
which was covered by uh, one gentleman who was there by the last name of Mims who wrote an article about it uh, shortly thereafter. And he said that this uh, scientist, in his acceptance speech, talked about how uh, human life is no more important than, than animal life. In fact, he said that we are no better than bacteria. And went on to talk about how actually there are way too many humans on earth and that we needed to um, get rid of, we need to exterminate about 90% of the human race. Even went so far as to say the Ebola virus would be a good way to get rid of 9 out of every 10 humans on earth. I don't know for sure, but I would hope that after this speech, he was on the FBI's most watch list because those are not the people that you want as your neighbors. Those are not the people... I mean, yeah, theoretically it's one thing to say that, but if he actually believed this and was willing to follow through with it, think about the destruction, the devastation that such... Uh, see, that is... These are just a couple of examples to show us when the theoretical ideas that float around from time to time, when they begin to be talked about as something that needs to be done or could be done, again, it illustrates... Number one, how either contradictory their beliefs are, that morals could arise from rocks, that morals could arise from monkeys, that you know we are just higher apes that somehow came about knowing what is right and wrong, and, that, and there is an objective standard that is worldwide for every single person. Well, that's contradictory. You can't have that without a higher law given by a higher being, as was concluded in the trials of Nuremberg many years ago. And so we have the conundrum for atheists as we conclude here. Either admit that objective morality exists, yet refuse the only logical conclusion that God exists, or they must allege that everything is relative and anything goes, which I believe helps us to appreciate more the serious words of Psalm 14 and verse 1 as well as Psalm 53. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And when the fool who says in his heart there is no God begins, begins to take that idea to its logical conclusion, what we are going to have is an extremely corrupt world where there are abominable works being done. But thank God that there is a God. And thank God that He has given us a conscience. And thank God for a higher law. And thank God for His inspired Word that guides us thoroughly and in, in so many ways specifically in our everyday lives, and if not as specifically as we might like, cer- certainly through the principles that we find in His inspired Word in every situation we are in. I fully believe we can know, we can believe based upon a true, solid, a logical foundation what we should and shouldn't do. Some things are exactly right. Some things are exactly wrong, and some things are neither right nor wrong. And we have the freedom to choose what we want to do, but always, as God's children, we want to have authority for what we do. Will you bow with me, please? Holy Father, it has been a joy to contemplate some of the most important things in life tonight, especially your existence and how great you are and some of the evidences for your existence. Thank you for those who are gathered here this evening. Thank you for this congregation that meets here at Delreda. 
Thank you for their light that shines. Thank you for their leadership. Thank you for all of their members, their older members, their younger members, their young people. Please bless them in their work here in the Montgomery area. And uh, we pray for our world. We pray that there will be hearts, more and more hearts, who will be open and honest and that they will be sincerely seeking your word and your truths and that they will come to believe that you exist and that the Bible is your word, that Jesus is your Son and our Savior, and that they will want to give their lives to Him. Please, Father, help us to be dedicated. Help us to be true and sincere and not hypocritical in our walk with You. Please forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much.